one of my coaches in California growing up used to say, like, there's this box, like the 10 foot box where you stand behind the, the ball, line up, you hit. Then once you leave that box, you got to let everything go. This is The Tournament Code. We appreciate you taking the time to join us today, Jacob. We know a little bit about you, a little bit about your playing. But before we get into uh, where you are now, let's kind of start from the beginning. Tell us how you got into the game of golf. Sure. So, um, yeah, I grew up in uh, Northern California, just outside of San Francisco in the East Bay area. And my parents both loved the game. My dad was, you know, a pretty good casual golfer, got down to, I think, a six handicap at one point. And so it, it really just started every weekend going to the local driving range on the side of the highway right next to uh, the house. It was about 10 minutes from the house and uh, just getting out there and, and getting on that driving range probably when I was like three or four years old. And then it, you know, evolved into me starting to play tournaments when I was nine. And just fell in love with the game. I played, you know, baseball, soccer, a little bit of basketball growing up, but definitely golf was always the primary focus. Growing up in California, how did you wind up at Auburn? Yeah, it's uh, kind of an interesting story how I wound up at Auburn. Yeah, I was playing, you know, really good junior golf by the time I got to high school. I think after my freshman year of high school is when I, I won three AJGAs that summer after I, I finished up my freshman year and started to get interest from like all the big Pac-12 schools, obviously being local. And I kind of just, I, I didn't commit early, like uh, back when I was getting recruited, you could still, you know, I think Brad Dalkey committed to Oklahoma when he was in like seventh grade. So at that at that time, you know, it was still like they hadn't put the rules in place where you had to be like a junior to start talking to some of these schools. But I was just patient with my recruiting process. I kind of let it play out. I knew that I was pretty much good enough in junior golf to go wherever I wanted, just given the results I had early on. And then Auburn came into the picture after I met a kid at the uh, Wyndham Cup, the AJGA Wyndham Cup, which is like an East versus West type deal. And uh, that guy was Matt Gilchrist, and he ended up being my teammate at Auburn for two years. But he, when I originally met him, Matt said, you got to come check out Auburn. Like, I know you're from California, but it's an incredible spot. We've got great coaches, great facility. And uh, so I went and saw it. And uh, fortunately for me, it was uh, the kick six 2013 Auburn-Alabama game for my first ever visit to Auburn. So that was pretty, uh, pretty incredible stuff. That's a that's a heck of a recruiting visit, and you liked Auburn so much that now it's your home, it sounds like, which we'll get to. But tell us about actually going to Auburn and what it was like getting in that community. We've talked with a lot of people from there. We've talked with uh, Corey Magger. We've talked with Jam Butler. We've talked with Grayson Huff. And so we've heard a lot of great things extolling how much effort goes into making the program what it is and the brotherhood that's been developed there. But tell us what you kind of expected coming in freshman year and then how it uh, manifested itself over the next four years. For sure. 
So, I mean, coming in, obviously that recruiting visit was, was a blast getting to go to that football game, experience SEC football, and, you know, game day atmosphere is incredible. So that kind of draws you in at first sight. And then, you know, getting to see the, the amazing dorm rooms that we had, I think that was a big selling point for us because, I mean, like, I visited other schools like Stanford, UCLA, like all these West Coast schools that they they put you in the regular dorms like you're a regular student. Whereas at Auburn, you had, you know, the, the student athlete dorms, quote unquote, you know, I mean, it's 49% student athletes, regular students, 51%. But you're basically getting like a two bedroom apartment on campus with a washer and dryer and a kitchen and all that. So it's like, that was an incredible selling point uh, from day one. And then when I got to school, coming from California, obviously, I, I didn't really know what to expect. Like I went to a, a big high school, big public high school in California. So I had been around kind of that college experience already. But yeah, coming in, I mean, it's just an amazing family. I don't know how else to put it other than that Auburn is an amazing family. Like, everybody's so supportive of each other, like all the sports teams hang out together. So learn that on day one that, you know, it's it's a real supportive place where everybody wants each other to be successful, do well. And then obviously with our golf program, I mean, it, it's just been really incredible since Coach Kleinard got here in uh, 2009 and all the great players we've had come through. And, and now with our women's golf team, with Megan Schofield winning the women's am, I mean, we, we've just had some really incredible teams built over the years. It's It's been really awesome to see that. Tell us what your expectations were coming in as far as playing. You know, you were a top player and you thought you could go anywhere to play. But when you get into when you're the oldest in your class or when you're a senior in high school, you're better than everybody. It, it means something to a degree. But then you get to college and there's a lot of guys who've been playing for four more years than you or three more years for you. Tell us what your expectations were. Tell us about what it was like competing for a spot to play and then playing for Auburn. I think my expectations coming in were probably pretty high for myself because, again, with the success I had in my junior career, you know, I played three Wyndham Cups. So I was a top 10 player on the West Coast for three straight years, basically. I was on teams of on those Wyndham Cups with like Colin Morikawa, Sam Burns, Scotty Scheffler. So I got to know, you know, some of the best players now in the world. But yeah, so I had really high expectations coming in just based off my junior career. And then when I got there, I was like, wow, I'm not I'm not quite as good as I thought I was. We had a great team my freshman year, especially uh, Michael Johnson. He was a fifth year senior at that time. And he had one of the best years in Auburn golf history. I think he won three events, you know, and, and he was a fifth year senior. So he's taken like, you know, six, seven hours of credit hours. So he had plenty of time to work on his game, go out to the bars, have a little fun. And then he would show up on a Sunday morning and shoot 66. Like it didn't even matter. So that was definitely eye opening. But yeah, man, I came in and, and performed really well, actually, in the fall semester. I think I finished like 10th, 12th, 11th, and 13th in our four events. So I was very consistent, but uh, definitely didn't necessarily like know what was going to happen. 
but then I made it into the first tournament and, and I kept playing well and kept exempting myself into the next event. I was exempt from qualifying pretty much the whole fall. So that was a cool feeling, you know, to, to come in and prove myself early on. At what point during your college career did you start thinking about, you know, the next level and playing professional golf? Yeah, my, my college career honestly was was really up and down. Like I said, I got off to that great start freshman year. And then in the spring of freshman year, kind of went through a lull, managed to play the postseason that year and, and just played okay. You know, and then really through sophomore and junior year, I was kind of struggling as well. So it's like, it wasn't always clear. Like I even doubted whether I could play professional golf, even at a high level place like Auburn, you know, kind of moving in and out of the lineup at times. I mean, I probably ended up playing 90% of the tournaments, but sometimes as an individual, just because we had such a deep team. So the opportunities were there for other guys to, to earn their spot. And it, it was a battle, man. So I, I wasn't always sure whether I was going to, you know, get to the next level. I think my senior year, I really started to come around kind of due to, you know, I was able to take online classes every summer, get ahead in school. So by my senior semester, I had like six credit hours to complete. So I was really able to focus on my game. And I had a really good, pretty solid senior year. I think I finished second team all SEC and had a lot of good finishes, a lot of top tens, but I was just never that explosive player. Like you see these guys go shoot minus 10 on the Corn Ferry Tour one round. And I was never, I think my college best round was like a 66, like three times. So I never had that like ability in a tournament to go really low. So I definitely had doubts. And it it was just tough, man. I mean, college golf is really, really hard. And it's got even harder with how talented these kids are these days. When you were struggling in college, what were some of the specific things in your game that you were struggling with? and how did you work on those things to have it all come together your senior year? Yeah, I think I think the things I struggled with the most were probably just an expectation thing where I expected myself to play really well. And then when it didn't happen, my attitude sucked. So that was one part of it. Another part of it was that I've never been a long hitter of the golf ball. I think I came into college carrying it 265 off the tee but I was still really good hitting at 265 because the rest of my game was really solid. But I think over time in the certain golf courses we play where you go to like an Inverness or a old Overton that these are like big championship level golf courses and, you know, not being able to carry the ball like 275, 280 really, really hurt me. So then by senior year, I mean, obviously we were going really hard in the gym but uh started work on my speed a little bit, got up to like 162, 163 ball speed. And then, you know, throughout my pro career, it's kind of been a gradual process of trying to get more speed. And, you know, nowadays I'm kind of in the 166, 167 range. So I'm just slowly creeping up and hopefully eventually we'll be able to get that 170 ball speed. But I think, you know, during college, definitely my distance held me back. And then just my attitude. I just think I was immature and 20 years old and, and, and didn't have the perspective that I do now. What about your attitude in college and maturity do you think held you back in particular? I think my my anger held me back just because golf is so like 
it feels continuous, but obviously every shot's individual, right? So like, I think if I had realized that in college, like, hey, every shot's individual, you know, I, I can recover from a bad shot. But in college, you're just kind of immature and, and, and you don't know those things yet. And so I would, you know, get on a bad streak of either rounds or, you know, holes or whatever it may be, because I'm letting that in, internal anger affect my, my actual golf shot, which is never a good thing. What did you work on to try to allow yourself to recognize the individuality of each shot and compartmentalize so that you didn't, you know, run over, run over a hole to hole or shot to shot, uh, and carry that burden with you? Is there someone you worked with? Is there someone you talked about? Is there something that you did that helped that? Or was just a gradual process of learning? It was definitely one, a gradual process of learning to get to the stage that I'm at now. But I also worked with a mental coach starting in uh, 2020 and 2021. So just like a, a, a year and a half after my professional career started. So I wish I had done that work in college, but I was always stubborn. You know, my parents want to say, you should go see this coach or whatever. We'll pay for it. It doesn't matter. We're just trying to help you. I'm like, nah, nah, I got it. Like, it's fine. But that's just the 21-year-old. But yeah, in working with that mental coach to, you know, prevent the the bad streaks or the anger or these expectations, we kind of just said, you know, why do you enjoy hitting golf shots, right? And I'm like, yeah, of course, I, I love it. I've done it my whole life. Like, it's what I want to do. It's like, well, if you're loving the process and you're truly invested in, okay, this shot is individual, this putt's eight feet, and it doesn't mean anything, it's just an eight-footer. So I think taking the emotion out of the shot is really what helped me to make every shot more individual. Like, every shot's a math problem. I kind of like that that statement where, because obviously golf, you know, you got 150, it's into the wind, all these factors, and you just make it as logical as possible and, like, take the emotion out of it, which really comes comes up huge when you're in a situation where you're in the final group of a tournament trying to win for the first time, you know, handling those emotions is really key. Tell us about the math that does go into a golf shot, kind of your pre-shot routine, figuring out what you're going to hit, et cetera. Walk us through lie, wind, elevation, distance, et cetera. Yeah. So my process is really simple. I, I probably might be one of the fastest players on the corn Ferry tour. They do like on the Tour Links app, they, they show you your average shot times. And I think I was the sixth fastest player on the Corn Ferry Tour this year. And I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing. Uh, I'd like to think that it is because it means I'm, I'm really decisive. So the way we go through it is me and my caddy will obviously pace off the yardage, get the front number, get the pin number. And then I have a mini compass in my yardage book. I, I wish I had it with me right now. but I open that. It's like a, you know, I think it's a Sunoco that I attach to like the top part of the yardage book. So always checking the the compass for the wind direction and, and we play off adjusted numbers as well. So just getting those numbers first off, judging the wind, but I'm so quick with it, man. I, I just like, okay, 153. Yep. I know that's my nine iron. Like I'm, I'm very decisive. And then we just pick a good target that makes sense. And, and I, I swing freely. You know, I'm not 
one of those guys that's going to sit there and deliberate for 30 seconds. Hey, what, you know, like I, I just, it doesn't make sense to me why people take so long to play golf. I've always been a fast player. Probably something I need to work on to slow myself down a little bit, just because it is so slow. The, the rounds take five to five and a half hours. So, but my process is really simple, man. I, I just have good feel. I've done it for 20 years. So I feel like I know my game really well at this point. In that split second after you hit a bad shot or get a bad break, what difference do you notice in yourself of being able to control your emotions rather than like, you know, slamming a club or cursing or any other thing that would show that you're angry? Well, I, I definitely still fail at that sometimes. Um, there there have been so many moments this year on Corn Ferry where I got really pissed off, but I think the difference is I, I got pissed off and then like I let it go. So it's like one of my coaches in California growing up used to say like there's this box, like the 10 foot box where you stand behind the, the ball, line up, you hit. Then once you leave that box, you got to let everything go. So I've, I've done, I've just worked on that where like, as soon as I hit that shot and we walk to the next one, like I'm, I forget about golf, talk with my caddy about girls, football game, whatever it may be, just to get your mind off it and then, and then move on to that next shot and refocus and reset. So I I think it's pretty simple. It's more of just like taking that action within your mind to say, I'm not going to let that affect me. I know I'm good enough, no matter what happens how many bad shots I hit, I'm going to find a way to make a score out of it. And, and most of the time it works out. You mentioned the compass in your yardage book that you use for wind direction. I think that that's something we've talked about some on here, but I think in the golf world that maybe is not, depending on where your background is, et cetera, some people might not be familiar with it. And I'll tell you kind of what Cooper and I do when we play is we get out our weather app, we write down the wind direction for the entire day and then, and the miles per hour. And then we just run with that as the wind. So even if it feels like in general, if it feels a little funny or something like that, if it feels a different way, we generally go with what we've read on the weather app, what we've written down and use our compass to figure out where it truly is coming out of no matter how it, how it feels. Tell us about how you treat wind direction and your use of compass while out there playing. Yeah, I mean, I agree completely. I think it's it's a necessary thing because when it, the wind is swirling, or you know, you get on in in these tree line courses, and it's sometimes hard to tell that wind direction. That compass is a co- constant, so I think what it does is it gives you a ton of confidence to know that, like, okay, I can trust this because in that pre shot routine, what you're trying to do is build confidence that, like, okay, I've made the right decision. It allows you to be more committed. I think it's a necessary thing for tournament golf. I mean, if you're a recreational golfer, you know, wind may not affect your ball quite as much, but at these high level, you know, things where we're putting a ton of spin on it and the wind really does affect it, it's crucial to check that compass. I like to flight the golf ball definitely when I'm into the wind. I've got that shot in my game, always have kind of that low draw from the back of the stance, that's a really comfortable shot for me. So I just, I never try to go against the wind either. If it's a right to left wind, I'm just going to play it out to the right, let it draw back. If it's left to right, same thing. Uh, I think, I think if you play with the wind, it makes life easier. If you're fighting against it, it, it makes it a lot harder. You mentioned earlier that 
you never were the kind of guy who could go out and shoot 10 under in a random round, but you knew people obviously that could. What do you think gives, what do you think gives people the ability to go out and do that? Or what do you, what do you think the separating factor is? Not saying that you're not good, not saying that you can't do that now, but at that time you'd mentioned that wasn't you. What do you think separates the people that can, that go out and do that? Right. I, I think it's one, a mindset thing to be able to shoot eight to 10 under par, because, you know, if you've never been there before and, and you start to, you know, make all these birdies and then you're like, oh my God, I'm six under. So like people that think about the score, which was probably me in college, thinking about the score way too much and, you know, realizing like, oh, I'm five, six under, like I have a chance to shoot my best round type deal. As soon as those thoughts creep in, you're probably going to hit a bad shot. Um, so I, I think it's, again, going back to making the golf shot individual and like not worrying about what you're at or what the putt is for, or what the shot is for. So making it individual is a big part of being able to take it low and just having the confidence that you can do it. Like I never had the confidence in college that, okay, I could go shoot you know, eight under, I, I just was like, okay, if I go shoot two under per round, like that's really solid, but it's never going to win you a golf tournament. And now obviously I realize having played this full year on corn Ferry, just like so many events are 20 under par to win regardless of conditions too. I mean, looking back to the tour championship last week on day one, it was about 65 degrees and it rained the entire day. And Mason Anderson went and shot eight under in the first round. And it was just like, how, how did he do that? But at the same time, like, you just always expect somebody's going to have the the round of their life on that day. But yeah, I mean, just, just confidence that you can do it, making the golf shots individual. I think that's how, how guys are able to shoot those low scores. That's how Cooper and I felt. He played in the Jones Cup in 2021, I think it was, maybe 20 21 i think 20 21 alex fitzpatrick was out there obviously a bunch of good guys out there i can't remember if ludwig won or davis thompson won but ludwig uh, a burger okay he he won he won that pretty well uh, i think it was on the last hole but on that first day it was similar conditions like super rainy that course is tough and we get out there and i think cooper shot 78 and i was like okay like not exactly what we'd want, but I mean, I can't imagine the leaders more than like three under or four under out there because that's a hard golf. I thought course maybe for- like one person would shoot in the sixties, probably maybe one person. And we checked the leaderboard, and Alex Fitzpatrick had gone out and shot sixty-five, uh, seven under, and sixty-four like, yeah, or sixty-four. Oh, even better! Uh, <laughs> and I was like, well, I, I that that's not something I I saw was out there today. So there are obviously a bunch of good players out there and you're one of those good players out there as far as on the corn ferry tour right now you've got the full year out there before we get to this year tell us about what going pro was like for you in your path to the corn ferry so like i alluded to earlier just with senior year of college went pretty well for me so definitely had some confidence uh 2019 i decided to stay amateur throughout the summer kind of play some of those, you know, high level amateur events, the Son of Hannah, Northeast, Western and, and USAM was my last amateur event at Pinehurst number two. And I actually finished like second place in stroke play. 
to Brandon Wu, took out Cameron Young in the first round and lost to Palmer Jackson, who's a really good player at Notre Dame now, but had a great run to kind of end my amateur career that I was super pumped about. So it gave me a lot of confidence, like going into Q school. I went to pre-Q in South Carolina in 2019, got through that one. And then first stage, I actually won my first ever time going to first stage. Uh, It was down in Mobile at the RTJ Magnolia Grove. I shot like 21 under, I think a one by three shots. So I was like, oh man, pro golf's easy. Like I'm, I'm tearing it up right now. I started seeing Scott Hamilton that summer of 2019, who's still my swing coach today. And uh, he just helped me a bunch get to where I am and definitely improve my ball striking. Like I'm a way better ball striker in pro golf than I was in college. But yeah, with that immediate success, I was thinking it's going to be a cakewalk. And then I went to second stage at uh, TPC Craig Ranch in Dallas. And that week, the practice rounds, it was 75 degrees, sunny. And then we get in the tournament in round one, and it was 45 degrees, and it rained on us like our last three holes. And I I got a fortunate tee time even where I didn't even have to play in the rain that much, but some other guys did. And then uh, day two was probably the coldest round of my life. I mean, it went to 40 degrees, and I'm like, I think I was like five over through two rounds. So I'm like way out of it. Like the, cut was going to be like four under and I ended up shooting three under seven under on the last two days to almost get through second stage I ended up missing by two shots but I was like wow like I I really came back strong and you know still had a lot of confidence even though I missed second stage by two shots and then little did we know that the the world was going to blow up you know a few months later with COVID and I wasn't going to have that Q school opportunity for another two years. So, I mean, I can, I can continue to go on about it if you want me to. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so after that second stage, I I think I just went and played some mini tour events down in Florida, like the minor league golf tour. I had buddies who lived in Jupiter, stayed with them for like a month and, and played a lot of that stuff and playing well, still had confidence. I actually went over to, uh, Asian tour and tried their Q school in January of 2020, right before COVID. And I tied for first in that first stage. And then I went to final stage like a month later. And this is where things started to kind of get dicey for me. I just wasn't playing the golf that I'd been playing. I think it was either a lack of like good iron play that I had in the, in the previous few months And then my putting really started to struggle, which had honestly always been probably the strongest point of my game was my putting. And then I really started to get demons with the putter throughout 2020, Um, played a bunch of mini tour events, probably only made like, I think I made like three cuts out of like 10 or 12 events I played like on the mini tours. So really struggling. And this was, you know, in a period after COVID where like the all pro tour had a bunch of good players coming to play it. And I was kind of just getting smoked, to be honest, like losing a ton of money, not playing well. And it was a really tough time. I mean, I I just, that's when I started seeing the mental coach. I knew I needed some help, like outside of the physical aspects of golf. And even after seeing the mental coach, it kind of didn't turn around for me. I mean, I played all right in 2021. I 
played a bunch of mini tours. I think I made a lot more cuts that year in 2021, like did, still lost money, didn't really break even. And then first stage in 2021, first time doing Q school in two years, I, I missed by five shots at the site that I had won at two years ago. And that was kind of the real low point of my pro career, I guess you could say. I definitely thought about giving up, quitting. And my mom, I remember it, like we were just walking through the neighborhood. I went on a walk with my mom and she, and I was like, man, I think I should quit. Like, I don't know if this is for me. I've been kind of sucking for the last year and a half. Like, it's really hard. And she was like, like, no, you've done this your whole life. Like, you've practiced so hard. Like, don't throw it all away. Give yourself like one more year, one more year and just see what happens. And so going into 2022, I mean, my expectations were at the floor. Like I, I had played so bad and I was like, this isn't happening, but I just kept going, kept working hard, practicing. And then golf's one of those things where it's like, you never know when your game is going to start to turn around and things are going to start to go in your favor. And sure enough, like early 2022, I uh, almost won a mini tour event, a G pro event. I lost in a playoff to Will Dixon in like February of 2022. And then like a month later was the Canadian tour Q school. And I got through that. I got like conditional status, but it was really good. So I got into all the events up in Canada. And then I think in Canada, I finished like 26 on the points list. So I just had a really solid year in 2022 that I was really proud of. And, and that kind of gave me the confidence going into this like last fall for for the next stage of Q school. I went to first stage in Gunner, Texas, got through. Second stage in Valdosta, Kinderloo Forest, really good golf course, and and got through that. I I was right around the cut line actually with like I think nine holes to play. I was five under and the cut was gonna be six. So I was like really nervous, kind of struggling. And then all of a sudden I just birdie 10, 11, 12 and get myself right in it. And I was like, wow, this is sweet. Like now I just got to hold on for dear life. And it second stage pressure is probably the most pressure that you'll ever feel in your entire career. Cause you know that if you don't get through, like you're, you're a whole nother year of waiting for another Q school opportunity. So, uh, but luckily I just kept making pars. And then on 18, I hit it to like two feet and make birdie. And, and I got in by three shots at second stage last year. So it was kind of like, and, and I had this <laughs> really embarrassing actually, but the PGA tour like posted me like bawling my eyes out because I had made it to sec- through second stage. And even now I still get emotional thinking about it because it was such a big moment for me, just all the like tough times over the last three years, you know, like I said, missing cuts on mini tours, wanting to quit but all that perseverance finally paid off. That's an awesome story. And I wanted to point out something you said earlier, which is how advantageous do you think it was for you to have low expectations going into that season? Yeah, it was huge to have those low expectations because like I finally just had hit the floor. Like once you hit rock bottom, there's nowhere to go but up. So yeah, I just went into tournaments not really expecting anything. And then all of a sudden I just kind of, played really free like I I think when you have expectations you're not necessarily playing free it's like man I gotta make birdie like this is an easy par five or whatever it may be 
but when you have no expectation, you're kind of like, all right, I'll just pick my target. I'll just hit it. Like whatever happens, happens. Uh, I think playing with freedom is probably the biggest like confidence builder that you can have. And, and it just allows you to, you know, swing your best, putt your best. Cause you're not afraid of like an outcome. You're just out there focused on what you're doing. You said that second stage is some of the most is the most pressure in golf and you made it through, as you said, you got to third stage and the beauty about third stage is at least you're going to get some sort of status on corn Ferry. It can be obviously full status all the way down to like super conditional status, but at least like you're on the list of a guy who's going to get into an event probably at some point during the year. And as I recall, if I recall correctly, I think you were, you got partial status and you were exempt into the first four events of the year this year and when it comes to getting some sort of partial status uh it's good because hey you're you're in the event but also you know that you got to play well etc so you can stay in get have status for the reshuffle tell us about this year and what that looked like and if i was wrong as far as what you were exempted into correct me on that i i actually had the first eight starts because i finished top 40 at final but I'll say this about final stages is going into it. I, I think I was really naive to what could even happen. Like it felt like I had already won because I was there and I was going to be a conditional corn fairy member, no matter what, like you were saying, but I didn't realize like the ramifications of not getting top 40, because when you get top 40, you get the TPC practice privilege at Sawgrass and like some of the elite like venues that, you know, conditional members don't have access to like Scottsdale Sawgrass. So there's that part of it. There's the health insurance part of it by getting top 40. So I think if I had known all those things, I probably wouldn't have played as well. But because I was so naive and had no idea, like I just went and played like I, you know, had in second stage and first stage and and I was on a good string of golf, playing with a lot of confidence, finished 17th in finals. And then so I knew I had eight events going into this year. And in those eight events, I mean, the first one was at Exuma, which is, I don't know if they've shown it on TV. I, I feel like they did maybe a few years ago, but it might be probably the tightest golf course that we play throughout the year. It's uh, lined with like ocean on one side and then OB houses on the other side. So it's a really nerve wracking golf course to have to play your first corn ferry on. It's generally super windy. And, and I actually completely blew it to miss the cut there. Um, I was so nervous. Like I, I played pretty well, but I just felt super tight over the putter, super tight over the golf shots, like just not playing with that freedom that I talked about when I'm playing my best. But I learned a lot from it. And, and going into the second event, I ended up finishing T-17 which then basically secured my status for, for future reshuffles because early in the year, all you got to do really is make a cut and like have a decent enough finish, like a, a top 30 or a couple of them will do you a lot of good early in the season. So then from there, it was like, all right, let's roll because, you know, I, I missed the first cut and then making that second cut, it felt like a weight had just been lifted because it's like, all right, now I know that I'm going to play the rest of the year. Things are good. But yeah, it's it's definitely nerve wracking knowing that you only have like even though you went through all those stages of Q school and you played so good, now you've only got eight events and like there were guys like 
it's crazy that Wilson Fur just got his PGA Tour card, but Wilson was a guy that missed like seven out of the first eight cuts. He made like one cut and he was struggling. And then like he got into Huntsville like last minute, either sponsor exemption or alternate, which was the ninth event, first event after reshuffle. And then he finished like seven and, and just, you know, it's crazy how long the year is. Like I thought I was going to be good because I had played well in the start of the year. And then as the year went on and I'm missing cuts, I find myself slipping down that points list and like wondering whether I'll even make the tour championship. So I think also that perspective of knowing like, Hey, it's a long year. Anything could happen. You could start peaking at the right time. I think that gives me more confidence too, but yeah, I learned so much out there this year. It's crazy. Was it hard to adjust to playing so many events and having to learn a new course each week? Absolutely. I think that's probably the biggest challenge. And a lot of people will say that like your rookie year on the PGA Tour or the Corn Ferry Tour is probably the most difficult year because, you know, you've never seen most of the courses. Uh, You don't know where to stay. Maybe you don't have like a ton of buddies out there. Lucky, lucky for me, I, I did. But I mean, it's it's a really tough year also learning how to take care of your body on the road when you're playing seven weeks straight and just staying in it mentally because it is so exhausting. I mean, come, you know, end of the year after playing 25 events here, it's like, I I don't really want to touch a golf club for at least a week, but yeah, it's, it's a grueling grind. I think that most people don't understand, like, you know, they say, Oh, life's great. You know, you play golf every day. Like that, that must be great. Yeah, it's great, but at the same time, it's really, really difficult and like it's exhausting. One of the things that's tough about golf is, you know, there's a lot of variability and no matter how good you are, variability comes for you. And if you're playing golf for fun, okay, bad day happens. It's a bad day. At least it's from what I've seen and experienced. Uh, but at least like, you know, your job is your job. And when your job sucks, sucks, at least there's usually stuff you can do about it. But when, things go wrong in golf uh, and it's your job and you're making money. It's a whole lot. You have a whole lot less control than you do in almost any other job. So that can weigh you down. And also you have a long schedule. Tell us about how you planned out your schedule of events for the corn Ferry last year and how you're planning your schedule of events this year. Yeah. So last year, I mean, it was really just asking around to other guys that had done it before, like, like Michael Johnson, my teammate from Auburn, and, you know, saying, hey, where, where, where's the best courses? What's going to be a good venue for me? I mean, my attitude was like, I'll, I'll just go play everything because I had never done it before. And I think I only missed two events this year. I, I missed uh, Wichita for the U.S. Open, and I took off the week before Wichita as well, uh, the Greenville BMW Championship. But going into this year, kind of with the first eight only – guaranteed i didn't plan super far ahead that's something i'll do differently next year now that i'm guaranteed top 75 and and playing out there next year but yeah man it's a grueling grind and and thank god for my dad he is like kind of my super manager we sit down and plan out the travel kind of like month by month and he has all these organized calendars he's just a total accountant so he uh he really takes care of me and helps me out with that stuff. I couldn't imagine doing it without him because it's hard. (laughs) 
Let's talk about that U.S. Open for a second. What was it like going through the qualifying process, and what was it like playing in your first major? Yeah, the U.S. Open was, I mean, to date, the most incredible thing that I've gotten to experience for sure. And I had been through locals before. I think I got through locals one time in college, so I had played a sectional. But this year I went to secession. I wasn't top 500 in the world, so I did have to go local qualifying again. I went to secession and I won the medalist there. Excellent golf course, by the way. Totally incredible venue. Shot five under out there. Had one of the best putting days that I can remember. Didn't really hit it that good, but putted the lights out. So awesome to get through. And then I think I signed up for the Dallas sectional, which was after the Kansas City Corn Ferry event. And I luckily missed the cut in the Kansas City Corn Ferry event. It was probably the best missed cut of my career just because it allowed me the opportunity to get down to Dallas and get to see both of the courses going into that sectional qualifier. And despite missing the cut, like I knew I played well in Kansas City. It was just like a couple shots here or there. And that that's what's crazy about Corn Ferry too, is like you could play well and like not necessarily score it and you miss the cut by one. And then who knows what you would have done on Saturday or Sunday. There's a guy every week that, you know, goes out there, makes the cut on the number and then finishes top five. So it can always happen. But anyways, I mean, just a very fortunate miscut. Get to that sectional. And I played very well in the first round at, at Ben Tree Golf Club in Dallas. Shot like five under, I think. Super solid round. Maybe no bogeys, maybe just one bogey, something like that. And then we drive over the other course, which was Northwood. And I played great. I, I just like, I was on, I'm making birdies, no bogeys. In fact, I, I actually do remember now that I was bogey three through bogey free through uh, 34 holes. I had not made a bogey through the first 34. And then I think that pressure of like, okay, I, I'm a right around this number. I got to be. And again, those outside thoughts that creep in, it's like, I should have just focused on my process. Hey, it's not about the U.S. Open, but it's just hard not to think about stuff like that. Like, how do you keep those thoughts out of your head? Uh, so it comes down to those last two holes, and I hit my drive to the right on the second to last hole, pitch it up by the green, kind of a low punch shot, and I just barely missed the green, hit a decent chip to like six feet, and then just probably the worst stroke that I had made in a long time, just that pressure, I think. And I, I pushed it and kind of just lagged a six footer. It was a terrible putt. I was definitely feeling it, man. It was tough. But then, you know, getting on to the last hole, it's a par three and I'm like, okay, I got to just sack up here basically and, and just focus on what I'm doing. Hit a really good shot. Like it was right at the pin and it just barely comes up short. It catches the bank of this bunker and I'm like short-sided, kind of like way below the surface. And I hit this gorgeous bunker shot to like two feet, make the putt. And then we had to wait around for like an hour after the round to see if we were going to get through or if it was going to be a playoff. And it ended up being a like a, I think a five for two playoff. So really exciting. I mean, we were watching all these guys come in like Sergio Garcia. He hit it to like four feet on 18, makes birdie to not have to do the playoff. Just like really, really cool stuff to watch. 
but we get into the playoff and it's like me, Trent Phillips, I think Michael Kim, Hank Lebiota, and a, another college kid. And hit my drive down the right side, hit a 54 degree to about two feet and, and tapped in. And I, I really thought I was going to have to go extra playoff holes because Hank Lebiota made like a 10-footer for birdie and then Michael Kim had like six feet and he lifted out. And so I was like, oh, crap, like I, I got this probably most nervous two-footer in my career to qualify for the U.S. Open. But yeah, Michael Kim lipped out the five-footer and, and I was just so nervous on this two-footer, but I just focused and, and was able to knock it in dead center. And again, the tears started flowing, man. I don't know no, what it is about me and making making something happen, but I'm, I'm an emotional guy. I'm passionate. I care a ton. And yeah, it was a great moment. Probably one of the coolest moments in my life to know that I was going to get to tee it up in the open. That is really cool. I know we're coming up close to time right now. Uh, as far as things that I wanted to talk about, you talked, you work with Scott Hamilton. We know several players who've worked with Scott. Scott's a top teacher, really good guy from what I've heard. Tell us about first off when deciding to go to Scott and just in general working with swing coaches, what you were looking for and what you wanted the relationship to look like. Yeah, for sure. When it came to my golf swing, it's always been really simple. Like I said, I, I don't hit it super far. So like I'm a pretty on plane guy, like one plane. But yeah, I just wanted a coach that I had kind of seen my college coach throughout throughout my entire college career. And he worked with me on golf swing and he's great. He knows what he's talking about. I just wanted to do something different to start off my pro career. And I just heard Scott was a great guy and, and kind of just tried him out and really liked it. Yeah, we got going and, and he's really simple. Like I think his process aligns with mine because like I said, I'm a decisive player. I make quick decisions and, and I trust myself a lot. He's kind of the same way. Like within the first 10 minutes of the lesson, he kind of knows what I need to change. If anything, sometimes I go over there, drive two and a half hours to, to hear, Hey man, it looks pretty good. <laughs> so Scott's really simple, but he, he's been a lot of help. Mostly for me, the biggest thing in my golf game that changed when I started seeing him was just getting over to my left side better and getting a little more compression on the golf ball. Our first lesson ever, he was like, all right, I want you to launch your seven iron at 17 degrees, like, and you can't leave until you do it. And so I was like, all right, but Scott's great. You know, he really cuts us corn fairy guys a super fair deal. Like it's not crazy expensive to go see him and you can stay for four or five hours if you want. Like Scott's just a super chill guy. He just likes hanging out and talking golf. That is cool. As far as, Working with him, you know, you have a good relationship with him. You've learned a lot from him. When it comes to tournament weeks, what do what does your swing work look like throughout the year? Managing both. All right, I got to go play a tournament and put up the put up a score, but also, you know, there's some things maybe I want to work on in my swing. And then when you go out, but and that's you know practicing, etc. During the week and leading up to the tournament, and then days of the tournament. Is there any technique that's going in your head? Do you have swing thoughts? What's going on inside your head as to all that? Yeah, I think the best time to work on your golf swing is definitely early in the week. You know, I'm not a huge tinkerer either. So I'm I'm one of those guys that I kind of know where like my deficiencies are. Like 
Sometimes my hands get a little high at the top of my backswing. So just trying to get those hands deeper. And then just, you know, I use TrackMan. I bought a TrackMan this year and that's been hugely helpful just to understand like the club path data and all that. And I definitely take a few swing videos throughout the week, but I'm not really, you know, super working on anything during tournament weeks, man, because I, I generally hit it pretty straight. So it's more just like alignment, posture, tempo. I, I think those things are more the keys. And then when I come home and I do see Scott, you know, then we can make some changes. But I'm just not a huge tinker on the road. I kind of go with what I got. Again, my golf swing is really simple, but I definitely love to see videos. Like I'm hugely visual. I need to see how it looks. And then, you know, going on to TrackMan and dialing up my yardages for the week is is probably the more important work that I do where just getting the feels for, okay, Wedge is going this far this week and just constantly working on your feel with distance control. Lastly, going into, we've talked about golf swing, we've talked about tournament play. As far as working out goes and swing speed, we briefly touched on that, but tell us kind of what your plan is. You said, you've, you know, I've gotten better. I was at 163 ball speed. Now I'm at 166, 167 ball speed. So that's something, A, that you're trying to increase. And in general, what does the gym look like or any sort of speed training look like for you? Yeah, man. I mean, to be honest with you, I've never been a star in the gym. In college, I was probably like the worst athlete on our team. And I mean, I, I have coordination, but like it, it just, it's never worked out for me, man. I, I really have hated the gym my whole life. And like, it's been a really hard thing for me, but it's something that I've made a mission now in my head where I didn't work out too much this during throughout the season, just because it is really difficult to play sore. And, you know, if you're not in a routine before the year working out, it's hard to start a routine in the middle of the year. So that's honestly my biggest focus this off season. I know my golf game's pretty good, but I want to, in order to get my tour card and get to the next level, I've got to start carrying it like 295. I'm like at 285 right now. If I can start carrying it 295 to 300, I think that's where I'll see a ton of improvement, just getting more wedges in my hands. My wedge game is easily my biggest strength. My proximity on wedges is great. So just getting in the gym a ton this off season, I'm planning to go five days a week. I'm also planning to move down to Jacksonville Beach at some point this off season, hire a trainer down there. They have a really good guy at TPC. So just, just doing the right things, man, and just fully committing because I know that in order to get my tour card, I've got to hit it further. So that's... That's my biggest motivation right now is, hey, if you want your tour card, you better hit the gym. That That's the truth. What do you attribute your great wedge game to? Man, just super simple golf swing is one of the things that helps me out. I'm just super on plane. And then just working those distances on the track, man. I mean, my distance control throughout the year has just improved so much. Last week at the tour championship, I probably hit... 15 wedges inside six feet. I mean, I was just like, all my birdies were coming from wedge game on par fives. Like day four, I played the par fives, five under, chipped in for eagle on one of them. And then the other three, I laid up and hit a wedge to like inside 10 feet. 
So it's, it's just working on the track, man, distance control, developing that feel. And that's something hopefully that'll be like a, you know, when people talk about me playing the PGA tour, they'll say, man, this guy is one of the most elite wedge players we've ever seen. That's Michael. That is awesome. We look, we look forward to seeing that. I think the last question we ask every guest is the same, which is if you go back to yourself as a junior golfer and tell yourself just one thing, what would that one thing be? That's, that's a great question. I think if I could go back to junior golf, I would just tell myself, Hey man, the journey is really long. Like whatever happens today, it doesn't necessarily matter because, you know, you're going to wake up tomorrow and you're going to give it a hundred percent, your best effort, and you're going to improve over time. Just be patient with yourself. The journey is so long. And I think that can even relate to, you know, going throughout these seasons in pro golf. Like if I start off bad next year, guess what? I could be playing great come June or July and you just never know when your time is going to be. So I think just having that confidence in yourself and being really patient and, and knowing that it's a marathon, not a sprint. Absolutely. Well, we appreciate you joining us. Where can people find you on social media they want to follow you, reach out to you, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, my Instagram handle is just my name, Jacob underscore Solomon, all O's in the last name. I'm pretty active on Instagram. I definitely post a lot of stories and 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 posts on there. And that, that's pretty much all the social I do. Um, I'm not really on like Twitter that much. I, I, I sounded off on Twitter when I was playing the U.S. Open because they were they were kind of jabbing at me about some LinkedIn profile that people found online that I made when I was in college. But yeah, man, I, I'm active on Instagram. So give me a shout there. Well, awesome. Be sure to give Jacob a follow. And then if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please subscribe and leave a rating. And if you're listening on YouTube, please like and subscribe. This helps us get our message out to more people. And if you're trying to find us on social media, you can find us on Instagram at the tournament code and on Twitter slash X tournament code. As always, we appreciate you taking the time to join us and look forward to diving in deeper to what it takes to play elite tournament golf.